everyone, this is episode number four of the Fragments podcast, where we talk with participants of the Fragments project about short drama pieces which they worked on for several weeks. Today we will talk about Mary's piece called My Story. As all other pieces, this dialogue is just amazing and very important, and I'm very grateful that Mary shared it with us. As usual, before we start our conversation, I would like to ask everyone to introduce themselves. Uh, my name is Mary Juan Pierino, a South Sudanese that came to the United Kingdom in 1988. We were going to go back to South Sudan, but the war continues. So for that reason, we stay here up to date. Uh, I have a son. He's 35 now. And yeah, it's, uh, my husband passed away a few years back and it's two of us here, but I have a lot of friends that are supporting me and some families that um, around the world and we keep in touch with the telephone and a lot of different messages, you know. So yeah, thank you. I'm Caleb Gomez from Zimbabwe. I was born on the 15th of August, 1952. Uh, and my favorite food is sadza and meat, or should I say sadza and nyama and vegetables. I've got uh, two sons in Africa, all married, and uh, four granddaughters. I think that's enough for now. Thank you. Mary, my first question is for you. Can you tell us how you decided to write this particular piece? Yes, um, the reason actually I've chosen to write this piece first to do with my uh, the older generation before me, like my uh, grandmother, their sisters and their brothers, that most of them are no longer here with us. And um, without them, I wouldn't have been alive or here today. So they're great help and they're being strong family members and make decisions that really saving lives of so many children and adults that for one reason or the other or lost their parents or situation is bad with them. And then, you know, the older generation, they're really good generation. They take care of everything that is difficult in life. It sounds very important. Caleb, you have read this piece before. What do you think about it? For me, it's really good. It's, it's, it's really heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. We've got a lot of orphans in Africa. We have no one to care for them. They are neglected once their parents are gone. Thank you, Caleb. Mary, when you were writing this dialogue, did you have any specific place in mind? Actually, we are talking about a town called Juba. Juba is a, a, a South Sudanese town. It's a capital now, but in our time, it was a town. It's uh, Northeast Africa. So yes, uh, that's where we were. And um, it's a beautiful town. And yeah, that's uh, Juba. And the village is not where my um, grandmother's sister, Yike, lives. It's in the bank of the river. It's about... Um, maybe nine miles away from uh, Juba town. It's such a beautiful um, uh, village, uh, the countryside, the trees, edible trees and 
there is so many things to eat, like, you know. And did you hear the story from your relatives or parents, or was it just something that happened when you lived in Juba? This story actually is my own story. So it happened in, um, actually in town, but um, back then we have family like split. Some of them don't want to live in town. Some of them don't want to live in village. So, and likely most of the people, like they have quite few children from different wives. So like my great uncle, he was in town. He was like working in town, got everything, got big house and everything. But some of his sisters and brothers, they decided to live in the village. But living in the village, they want their children to study, but then they will send them into town. Uh, my mom was married and my dad was a policeman. And sometimes they, they station them outside the Juba town, they go to different districts. So we were like born in town as well. So, but there's no any difference between a grown up that in the village or grown up in, in town because they all listen to each other. They have everything to offer to their children and their grandchildren and to the community. How was it for you to write a drama piece which is based on your own life story? It's, it's quite difficult because emotionally it's still hard for me because losing both parents is hard because there is no one to turn to when you're like a teenager things that the parents will tell you, or small, small things, even when you're young, you know, age four, five, nobody's there for you. You just like with any other children that in the house there, most of us are often in that house because my great uncle, he got a brother also, his wife died, but the, um, the brother was alive, but he couldn't take care of the kids, three kids also, these three kids were in my great uncle's house. So we are all there, but there is no mother. His youngest wife is there, but you know, if you want something, you go and ask. We are not like in this country, the mothers or like huggy, huggy, people hug. If you are crying, someone will come and run and hug you. You cry and what is, you know, what is wrong with you? You hurt yourself and you cry until you, you keep quiet, you know? There is no like cuddling or come here and, you know, so it's a tough life in a way, but that was how it was at that time. This piece and the introduction to the piece, which you wrote and which we will listen to before the dialogue itself, is very much about childhood and growing up in South Sudan. Caleb, how is it for you to be growing up in Zimbabwe? For me, when I grew up, when I was, say, 18 years in Zimbabwe, I had to be picked up every second week by the police because they thought I was a thief. In it, I was not a thief. I remember there's at one time when I'd gone into town, the police came to the house looking for me. When I was in town, I, I was already arrested. I was at the police station. So when they got when they go to the house, they said to my, to my mother, oh, your son ran away, he knew we were coming. In it, I was already locked up and it was for housebreaking and theft. So I slept there. The next day, they took me to a place where they thought I broke in. 
When we arrived at that place, a child came out of that house and said to her mother, yes, mommy, that's him. And yet I was not even there. So the mother came and said, ah, no, it's not him. So they took me back and then I was released. When I got home, my parents wanted to know where I was because that night I didn't sleep at all. So I explained. So they said to me, no, but the police were here again yesterday. How can you say you were locked up when the police were looking for you here? Uh, they, it's not just one, several times they, they picked me up. Yeah, that's how I grew up. And do you often think about your childhood? Uh, not really, because those days are gone. Yeah. Of course, I had good times and I had bad times at the same time. Because uh, when I turned 21 in Zimbabwe, it was somehow hard to get a job. So what they used to do for, to us so we can get a job, it was that you'd have to volunteer to become a soldier. That is where the only place you could get a job. I mean, before you get that job, you have to do what they used to call national uh, service. That is the training. After you've done the national service, you get a job. When they want you, they call you up anytime. If you don't, you go to prison. That's how it was in Africa, in Zimbabwe. Mary, what about you? What kind of memories of your childhood do you have? So starting school was very interesting. I really enjoyed it. Age 10, I was doing very well, top of the class. The school is free until primary six. After that, you have to pay. So after that, I had to withdraw. My great uncle is a busy man, a chief, doing important things. So I did not want to bother him. I did not want to ask. So therefore, I wasn't allowed to go to the classroom. So instead, I would climb up the tall trees opposite the school. They, they peer and peer into the classroom. So the teachers offer to pay the fees for the exams. I still didn't sit it. So when my great uncle Andrea found out, he was furious and paid for the exam, which I sat the following year. It was a strange feeling. But sometimes you do forget. You say, you know what? I'm going to make life for myself. That's what I want. And that's what I did, actually. Although I didn't finish going to uni, I finished until uh, senior. I was going to go to college, but then I got like married, involved with a man and all this. So I didn't finish all my education, but everything that I wanted to do that is negative during my life, I saw some of my relatives that are drinking and one of them even hurt and afterward he died. I say, if the alcohol is going to do that, I'm not going to drink it. Up to date, I don't drink alcohol. So I make sure that my plan that I, um, I decide that this is how my life is going to be. And it was exactly what I've said going to be, except for going to marriage earlier than finishing uni and, um, and work hard and get whatever I want until I got ill, actually. That's what put me back. But otherwise, I'm just going to excel, you know, doing my program that I wanted in life. Mm. Yeah, it's very not easy to be far away from the place where you were born and where your relative live. I know because 
I also was born not in a place where I live at the moment and I haven't been to my hometown for over 10 years. So I can relate to that. Mary, do you often think about Juba and South Sudan? I'm really missing Juba. I haven't been to Juba since 1988 because of the war that was going on. We had peace agreement in 2005, but at that time I was working and, you know, my son is going to school and I don't have enough time to have long holiday. I want to go there and stay for long. And then obviously when I had enough money, I work hard and I got the money. That was after I got ill. Then I said, I need to go home. That's 2014. But at that time, because I, I'm suffering, I have a, a condition called lupus. It does attack my um, my nervous system, the one I have, and my muscle and all this. And my immune system is, is compromised. So I have to have injection every Tuesday to to help boost my immune system. So when I get cold and cough, I will not end up in hospital. So I say, okay, I'm going to go for holiday, but the first place I need to go is South Sudan. And uh, obviously I went to my doctor and uh, the consultant and I said, I want to go to Africa. And she said, where? And I say in South Sudan. And she said, with your condition, it's impossible because South Sudan is just coming up red all the time. There is so many like um, infections and all this, you could, you could end up dying in South Sudan. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll come next month and I'll see how you think. So I went back. And she said that you can't go there, Mary, you know, it's not safe. I said, okay, I need to go to Africa. I said, what about Sudan? Because we were used to be one country anyway. And then uh, we split in 2011. So I said, okay, can I go to Sudan? And she looked and they say, okay, if you're going to the capital, it's okay. There is no, there is mosquitoes, but they, they don't, um, they cannot infect you. So I said, okay. For that reason, I, I, I will go to Khartoum. It's uh, closer to home, but I would have loved to go to South Sudan. Occasionally, I do dream about Juba. I don't dream about any place except my place. <laughs> I've been so many times like I was there, you know, and then I wake up. Oh, my God, I'm still in Reading. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Thank you for sharing your amazing stories. I really appreciate hearing them. Let's talk about the sound design for your piece. Mary, did you have any ideas about the sound? Um, I'm thinking of like, um, more or less like a somber sounds, you know, is something like uh, the case is like, it's useless, but there is hope somewhere here, like a sounds of hope as well. So what are the sounds of hope for you? some music of hope, some music of the sadness and hope. Maybe, again, some bird sounds, you know, they like come in the morning, you think, okay, there is another day, you know, and another day comes. And yeah, there is hope. You wake up every day and at the same time you're growing, you know, and your dreams that you have, you you think that obviously you're going to realize it. And yeah, with time, yeah. What are the sounds of the place we can add? Sounds which would give us a sense of location? I remember that the action happens in the kitchen, right? 
So how does the kitchen in South Sudan sound different than kitchen in the UK? African kitchen and in our household is totally different from here. Kitchen is really busy, busy, and we have a lot of visitors. And anybody in Africa, maybe Caleb will be related to that, will come and knock the door. At that time, we don't have mobile phones. We are lucky to have a landline, but it's not everybody that has the landline. Uh, and that was not our culture to call, actually. Someone will just come and knock the door. While you're cooking, they will just join and eat. No question and all that. You know, everybody's welcome. Even the food, if it's not enough, obviously give it to the visitors, then you start cooking a different food again for the rest of the family. Yeah. So which sounds do you imagine there? Maybe sounds of chopping or water boiling or anything else of this kind? Sound of chopping, sounds of uh, washing the big pots. We use so many big pots, you know, and uh, yeah, cooking, so many noises of cooking, you know, yeah. And what about the courtyard? How does it sound? In the courtyard, it's always busy, obviously, if there is a lot of visitors, mainly in Africa, like in my country. People are, the adults, like, they sit in the courtyard and children, they play like outside because there is also a yard outside the fence. So that yard also belongs to the household and mainly the kids. When we are kids, we play outside. Then the adult sits in the courtyard. It's always busy with sound of people talking and they're like, Obviously, they will call the children from outside, will come in, will be asked to make tea or coffee, and then we just prepare and give it to them and then continue with chatting, you know. That's uh, mostly the sounds of the courtyard. And uh, on the men's side, mainly like men sits on the different side. Also, they chat, men chat. So on the other side, and you'll hear the laughter. They're always laughing, you know, this again. They will be calling, you'll hear your name loudly from there. They will not come closer and call you. You hear your name and then you run and go to the other side of the courtyard, the men's side, and then maybe someone wants a glass of water and again, maybe hot drinks. Uh, we Our climate was in Juba is really nice one. It's not too hot. It's not too cold, but people like to drink tea more than any other drinks, you know. Even in a hot place like Sudan, when I went to Khartoum, it's one of the hottest places. It's near the desert. But people there drink tea 24-7 and coffee. Maybe Caleb's know that, I don't know. Uh, uh, yeah, you'll be really surprised. You'll find where it's hot, people want to drink tea all the time because for sure, they say it cools you down. I remember at one time when I was in Mozambique, there's this one white man here, he was very close to me. He used to have his coffee after every 10, 15 minutes. Or sometimes he can even leave a half a cup when it has been too much for him. But after that, I don't think he's had enough. He still wants another cup. <laughs> mm. And can you think of any music you might want to have in your dialogue? There is a new song, actually, that... Um... That came, I listened to it a lot. I think from South Africa. It's like uh, something hope for hope or something called Jerusalem. Oh, yeah. I wanted to say what you really need because you're talking about hope. You should have a gospel song. Right. 
Yeah. I don't know what that is, but it should be a gospel song because when we are down and out, we look forward to get help from the creator of heaven and earth. And uh, gospel music comes down everybody. Yeah, you're right. Mary, what do you think? What will be the very end of your piece? I know the end is um, like happy ending, but obviously because I'm ill, the age is also kicking in. My brother that I have, the only one, that died in 2008 in Syria. So because of the war, he ended up in Syria, ended up here. And then I ended up getting ill. Now I'm in the wheelchair. I was in bed, bed bound for two years. But I think I'm going to leave that out. And after being a child, being through all this uh, problem, I would rather have a happy ending. But my life now is just like a natural process that obviously I'm going to the end of my life in a nicer way. I would say, because in 2008, I was given two weeks to two months to live. And I'm still here, you know, um, almost 18 years I'm still here. So all this stuff is, is sad, but I would just say it's process of life. I would like it to be like a happy ending. Thank you so much for this conversation. It was very interesting and I truly appreciated it. Um, I collected your sound ideas and added some of the sounds you mentioned to your piece. So let's listen to it and I hope you like it. This story is a true story that happened in Africa in the 1960s in Juba, a town in South Sudan, a beautiful town with lovely people. Although war broke out in 1960, it's only affected the men as women and children were not targeted. In today's South Sudan, everyone is a target in the war, even unborn children. As part of a family growing up in Juba, Everyone had a part to play, whether child or adult, girl or boy. Everyone had a role and responsibility in passing on knowledge, culture, and a way of life. Many of the elderly who are strong now have either died or got scattered all over the world. 
So stories like this are not written or told anymore. I was about four years old, growing up with my brother, sister, and parents in our tribe, the Bari tribe. If tragedy strike, a family, uncles and aunts, to take care on responsibility and governance of the children. I choose to share this story as the old ways of life and tradition are valuable and taught me so much. Yet due to war, many communities in South Sudan are unable to live in this way anymore. Hello, brother. I've just arrived from the village. I have brought you some sugarcane, black eyed peas, and sweet corn. I welcome you, sister. It's nice to see you. KG, please take this food to the kitchen and make us some tea. I came here today to see you and raise some concern about my sister's orphan grandchildren. My brother, you know just as I do that in our tradition, it is a responsibility of parental side of the family, but that wife of the children's uncle, I don't know what's going on in her head. She's refusing. Don't you think your husband should intervene? Because it is his responsibility to look after this orphan. Thanks. 
You know what happened to the youngest one? Yes, she died. It's really sad because she was neglected, even while she was missing her mother. Exactly, brother. We can't let that happen to the other two. No, we can't, obviously, because you live in the village and there's no school nearby. I will take them, then they can go to school when they are seven. Oh, brother, now it will be your responsibility. That is so unusual. God will bless you for that. Sister, stay here tonight and we'll feed them tomorrow. And then perhaps you'd like to stay a few more days to help them settle in. Thank you, brother. Thank you. You are welcome, sister. Yes, oh, 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 oh,